Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on a Wednesday. It's the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. It's great to be with you as always. And a handful of things for you today. Ole Miss football gets a couple of uh, incredibly necessary graduate transfers on the defensive side of the ball. Both of them are really interesting in their own way. One comes from the Naval Academy. The other is coming from Canada. So very different paths uh, to get to Ole Miss uh, per the typical recruiting route, but nonetheless, uh, defensive help that that program desperately needed. Uh, Blake Henson has found a new home, and he's going to apply for immediate eligibility. And I promised I wouldn't say a particular word yesterday, so I'm not going to say it, but I think you can guess how Blake Henson is going to approach getting immediate eligibility. And finally, uh, the fallout from NASCAR's revelation and the FBI's revelation yesterday that it was not, in fact, a noose found in Bubba Wallace's garage. Um, the reaction this morning is is very mixed, and I think a lot of things can be true at once, so we'll break that down coming up uh, as well later on in the podcast. But first, I do want to remind you that uh, this podcast is brought to you every single day by LBs in Oxford, just off of University Avenue across from Kroger. It is Wednesday, it's hump day, so you can still get uh, your lunch special there at LBs, but also get your meat ready for the weekend. We should have, I know we had really good weather last weekend, it was a touch hot, but it was perfect weather. Um, I'm looking at my app right now, I'm seeing... Uh, low 80s with the sun out on Saturday and high 80s with the sun out on Sunday. So perfect grilling weekend. Stop by and see Greg at LB's there in Oxford, just off of University Avenue across from Kroger. So we'll start with the, the football transfers. Uh, and the, the one that came first was a guy from Canada, Tavius Robinson. Um, and the, phys- the physical tools, the measurables are, are almost hard to believe uh, because they are just I mean, this is the kind of size that you would want from somebody who is, uh, you know, going to line up at the four for Kermit Davis on the basketball floor. Uh, Tavius Robinson is a guy from Canada who is listed at six foot eight, two hundred and forty pounds. So, if that is an accurate uh, reading to play defensive end in the SEC, he's probably going to have to put on a little bit more weight, and I'm sure it's probably not easy at that height, but. Uh, you can see based on pictures physically he looks every bit of 6 foot 8 240 pounds he's from a place i hope i'm pronouncing it correctly i've i looked at it this morning and i, I didn't study french uh, i technically in college studied spanish but if i'm being honest with all of you i, I didn't i didn't study spanish either um it's guelph that's the best I can do, I think. <laughs> the University of G-U-E-L-P-H in Ontario, Canada, is where he's played his college ball. And, and the reason why he's transferring is simply because coronavirus has already shut down uh, the Canadian college football season for this fall. So uh, he is eligible right away. They had to do some working. Uh, Keith Carter and uh, Ole Miss had to do a lot of checks, if you will, to make sure that uh, he can transfer to Ole Miss and play right away, even though he's playing college ball in a different country. Apparently, that's all checked out. They're treating it like a JUCO transfer, so he will be uh, eligible to play right away for Ole Miss, and uh, because there's no season in Canada 
thanks to coronavirus. So he is immediately eligible, as I said. And I made the joke on the radio show yesterday that they just simply need bodies. I mean, giving me shoulder pads and a helmet would help to some degree. Just that's how um, how significantly poor the depth is there just by numbers. I mean, I'm sure they're, they're confident in the talent they have. And I think there are a handful of guys that you may not be familiar with that are going to have impact years. Uh, guys that just kind of flew under the radar on a bad football team last year. Uh, but there's just not a lot of numbers with Benito Jones leaving and uh, Josiah Coatney leaving and uh, Chuck Wiley entering the transfer portal. Suddenly there's not a whole lot of bodies there. And they were supposed to get Fab Lubbock, as you know, and uh, people interjected in that and made sure that couldn't happen because um, why let a college kid go to where he wants to go to school uh, when you can um, – interfere and direct somebody else's path because of your biases. I, I You know, uh, why would you want to do that? So they at least get a body in apparently a physical one, which is what they need. As you can imagine, I watched a handful of the, the highlight tapes, and those, of course, are designed to make a, a player look good. Uh, but he is very clearly, at least in the videos that I've seen, very clearly, physically much more athletic and much more physical than everybody on the field. Um, he really jumps off the page at you. And the, the biggest question is going to be simply, uh, can he translate to the highest level of college football in the States? Because you can tell, I mean, it, it only takes you 30 seconds to know uh, when you watch these highlights of him playing Canadian college football uh, that it's a physical mismatch. That he is more, he's stronger, he's more physical, he's more athletic than everybody on the field. I mean, it's it's quite simple. It looks like a high level prospects high school tape, and and he's playing college football in a different country. So that's the biggest question: is is he physically going to be able to adapt to playing in the SEC? Because as you can imagine, um, it, it is very clearly a different level of football, uh, far more uh, athletic. In the SEC. So physical, it looks like the tools are there. Uh, It's just a matter of translation uh, to the SEC. And will he be able to have an impact? I don't know. But like I've said, uh, that that is a a side of the ball in especially a position group that has just simply needed bodies there. Depth is a serious problem. And they go to Canada to solve it. So that's, uh, that's transfer number one. Tavius Robinson from Canada. And uh, he, according to reports, will be immediately eligible. Like I said, 6'8", 240, and he looks every bit of 6'8", 240. Uh, Just a huge kid. And uh, big-time help for Ole Miss on that side of the ball where they absolutely need it. And the other transfer, Ole Miss, uh, this came down late last night. And to tell you the truth, I, I believe in transparency around here. To tell you the truth, I had no idea that this was coming. No idea that this was on the radar or anything. I had not heard this name until the news broke last night, and I believe it broke by this player's Instagram post. But uh, Ole Miss has received the transfer of a guy named Jacob Springer, and he's transferring from the Naval Academy uh, to Ole Miss. And that comes with a, a lot of things. So I, I've read a handful of things now and, and talked to some people, and um, transferring from, from Navy to anywhere is a, a kind of a difficult thing. There, there are cases in which you have to pay back uh, your tuition, 
back to the school if you don't complete your degree and things like that. Um, I haven't seen anywhere that suggests that there will be any kind of an issue transferring to Ole Miss other than immediate eligibility. As far as I understand it, and uh, according to my guy Zach Barry uh, of of Red Cup, and uh, he does stuff with uh, Neil and Chase now on Rebel Grove, so he's a busy guy, um, will not be immediately eligible, uh, according to Zach. Will not be immediately eligible unless he can get some kind of waiver. And let's... Let's go down that road first, actually. I'll tell you more about this kid and, and his measurables and, and all that stuff and how he fits in Ole Miss. But that right there, to me, is a problem. The fact that he can't be immediately eligible. I think for, for one year, and apparently they're going to vote on this in January and make it potentially a full-time rule or not, uh, one-time penalty-free transfers. But I think all things considered right now, with all that is going on in coronavirus and, and lacking budgets and, and all of this stuff, I think what the NCAA should do is allow, at least for this year, a one-time penalty-free transfer starting with this football season. I, I don't see where the downside in that would be. I think these programs and these kids and their families have been impacted greatly uh, by by coronavirus and the things that have come with it. And not allowing every player that transfers to be immediately eligible, I, I think, is an oversight. It's something that they should do. This should not be an issue uh, for this kid. He should be able to play at Ole Miss right away. Every transfer should be able to play wherever they want to right away. And what they should not have to do is, for example, what Fab Lovett's going to have to do. He, he's going to have to uh, petition to the NCAA that he transferred away from Mississippi State because of something that his coach tweeted. And so instead of just allowing a kid to move forward and transfer to his new place and get a fresh start, he's got to petition and do so in a negative way about his old school. I mean, that's what Shea Patterson had to do at Ole Miss. Shea Patterson had to petition that Ole Miss misled him to get his uh, immediate eligibility. And he's not the only one that's had to do things like that. Justin Fields did the same thing. If we just... If common sense prevailed here, and to me it's common sense to allow any player that's transferring during these times, as all the commercials say, these uncertain times, um, they should be allowed to do so penalty-free. That should be the rule moving forward because students can leave whenever they want and transfer wherever they want and coaches can come and go as they please. The player should be able to transfer as well, especially if circumstances change, but it should be something that they're allowed to do regardless because everybody else involved is allowed to do it, so why should should they not be able to? When you add all of the things that have happened over the last three and a half, four months into the mix, then it's a no-brainer to me. So, according to Zach, he's not going to be immediately eligible. Um, However, it's still a big-time pickup when you consider what he's been able to do. And that is 102 tackles over his two uh, seasons so far, 70. Last season in 2019, he was second team all ACC as a linebacker slash safety. Actually got recruited to Navy to, to play wide receiver, but quickly switched over to the defensive side of the ball and, and became an impact player for Navy and a really good one on a Navy team that, as you guys know, it's been a really good program for a long time since Paul Johnson was there. And... Um, now, a really good player, second team all ACC. I know it's not the SEC, but when you're talking about a group of five leagues, you guys know that is the best one. 
And so a second-team All-ACC selection will certainly be able to come in next year and help Ole Miss on that side of the ball where they need it. It's a guy that's uh, played really well against the better teams on his schedule. I think he had 10 tackles against Notre Dame, um, probably his best game of the year. Uh, He had interest from Illinois and Michigan and Wisconsin, the aforementioned Notre Dame. I think Texas was interested as well, ended up going to Ole Miss. So even though he's got to sit out a year, having that guy ready available for you next season on that defense will be a really big deal. So good player, good athlete. Um, You have to be, as you can imagine, um, a really bright and well-rounded person to get into the Naval Academy. Um, People are asking questions about why he's leaving. I have not seen a definitive answer. I've asked a few people, maybe we'll get a real answer why he's leaving the Naval Academy, but maybe he sees that he's got a real opportunity to play professional football, and the best chance to do that is to go and develop in an SEC program where you don't have to focus on class and military training, and then when there's time, you can focus on football, where it's football 24-7, okay, 23-7, and then you go to class for an hour a day. Maybe that's why he wants to leave, because he sees pro potential, and he absolutely has pro potential. So it could be just as simple as that. I try to operate in the most obvious I, I use the, the principal Occam's razor a lot. And um, that, to me, I, I can't think of another explanation uh, that makes the most sense without knowing for sure. So maybe it's just that. Either way, it's a big-time pickup. And it goes to show you, as has been talked about on this podcast before, as we talk about on the radio show a good bit, and as Lane Kiffin told you in his opening press conference, there is going to be a difference in roster building for him and his staff than some others do it. There are a lot of programs that don't really participate in the graduate transfer situation or or actively recruit transfers. There are some people that just want their programs to sign 25 recruits every year and they process out the ones that aren't going to make it and that's how they build their rosters. But Lane Kiffin told you on day one he's going to take an NFL-like approach to roster building and These two guys are just another example of how you can do that. So, so many people pay attention to recruiting rankings, and they are important. You are going to hear me, if you're just listening to to me on a regular basis, um, recruiting rankings do matter. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. People will use, oh, well, Patrick Willis was a two-star. He is the exception, not the rule. 50% of five-stars get drafted Uh, 20% of four-stars get drafted, 5% of three-stars get drafted, give or take on average. Uh, Recruiting rankings and the people who do them do a very good job of them. And the teams that generally recruit the best um, are the better teams. It's kind of how it's shaken out. Uh, The blue-chip ratio. No team has ever won a national championship without having at least half of its roster uh, filled with blue-chip recruits. There has never been a national champion that did not have at least two top 10 classes and the previous four entering their championship season. Recruiting rankings are a direct reflection of the kind of talent you have on uh, your team. But they're not the only indicator. For example, you had a a safety transfer from Georgia that's on Ole Miss's team now. He's a former four-star. Doesn't count on recruiting rankings. Their starting tight end this year, graduate transfer, will not count in recruiting rankings. These two guys will not count 
in recruiting rankings. And so even though uh, there were some people uh, who I guess were incapable of understanding context that were either mocking Lane Kiffin's first recruiting class at Ole Miss or worried about it, um, how different would it be when you add just these four guys, the tight end, safety from Georgia, and these two guys right here? How different would it be? It'd be a lot different. So, yes, they need to recruit better than the transition class. Of course they do if they want to compete in the SEC. But what he told you on day one was that they were going to build rosters the way NFL teams do. Through the draft, through free agency, and he didn't mention trades, but that's how the NFL has to build their rosters. Well, recruiting is the draft, and free agency is transfer. If you don't add that element in, you're going to get left behind eventually, especially if the NCAA does allow one-time penalty-free transfers, as I mentioned a little while ago. They're going to vote in January, I believe. So, this is different. Recruiting and roster building for Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin is going to be different. They're going to get transfers. That is going to be something that they're not going to shy away from. He's not going to sign 27-person classes just because he can. Uh, There are previous coaches at Ole Miss that have signed as many guys as they can just because. They have taken players. Hugh Freeze did this a handful of times. If you look at uh, some of the older recruiting classes and go back and think about what was said about certain players when, when they were signed, is that they just basically signed them to sign them. Didn't really have a backup plan, and so they just signed a kid that they knew they could. That's not going to happen here. You may get smaller classes for a little while. Dabo Sweeney and Clemson did that for a while. Smaller classes. But they were 100% sure about every player that they signed, and that meant that there was less roster attrition. There were more guys that fit their system and that were capable of hanging on and being a part of that program, and it worked for them. That's how Dabo was able to, to build what he built at Clemson was through exceptional talent evaluation first. Now he's recruiting five stars everywhere, but that's not what it always was. It was talent evaluation. It was smaller classes. It was that kind of thing. I see the same thing happening here at Ole Miss. They're not just going to go sign kids to sign kids. They're not going to have 27-person classes, like I said, just to have a 27-person class. No, they are going to build rosters in a way that they feel like they can win the most, and that is potentially smaller classes if need be, and getting guys in a transfer window. So roster building is going to be different. But the recruiting side of it, I think, has has unfortunately taken a pretty significant hit because of coronavirus. Corona has messed up a lot of things and has probably delayed the start as far as how this staff is really going to... how this staff is really capable of recruiting, I should say. Because Kiffin deserves a lot of credit for the staff he assembled. Track records of high-level recruiting. Young, energetic staff. Guys, in some cases, that have something to prove. And in time, they should be able to recruit at an elite level if they stay together. But what coronavirus has done is eliminated visits. I mean, since March. Uh, They have not been able to bring in any kind of official visitors. And since it's a new staff, that going into your first full cycle, being able to bring guys in for the spring and do summer camp evaluations and and visit windows, those have all been taken away from them. And so when you're competing against in Auburn or Alabama 
or Tennessee or Georgia or LSU, even though LSU staff was just decimated. Um, those are programs that have been recruiting guys since they were sophomores and juniors and have been together since then and have had junior days and camp days and visit days and nothing has really changed about their program and these kids have visited them and they know the coaches and they know the campus and they know the town whereas a new staff like Lane Kiffin's at Ole Miss it's a new set of recruits now and they didn't have junior days a year ago Uh, they haven't had a season where they could host official visitors. And so even though coronavirus has shut down uh, visits, you still are able to recruit kids that have been there, that have seen it, that have felt it, that know what it's like inside of your building. That has been taken away from Ole Miss. And so I think now this class, even if it's great or bad or anything in between, should be looked at a little bit differently. Any recruiting win that, that they have moving forward has taken a little bit of extra work for them compared to most of their SEC counterparts. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz is probably dealing with the same thing. Mike Leach is probably dealing with the same thing, although their recruiting philosophy is going to be a little bit different. They're not going to go chase the highest of level prospects. Or maybe they'll try, but they've Mike Leach and his staff have never really recruited at that kind of level. Maybe they've been hamstringed by the locations he's been in, but they've never really done it. Uh, But those coaches, Eli Drinkwitz, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin, are all dealing with the same thing. New staffs at new schools, and they haven't had a chance to recruit these guys for years, and these guys haven't seen their place. And so any recruiting win for any four of these schools, but in particular Ole Miss for the sake of this listening audience, Any recruiting win has taken more work than it usually would have. So any win here, any positive in in the recruiting cycle this year, I think should be looked at differently than it otherwise would have. Because they haven't been able to have these kids visit and see their campus and see their town. Something that's really important to recruiting at Ole Miss is getting guys actually on campus. And to Hugh Freeze's credit, he talked about it openly a lot as We just need to get them here because other schools in the SEC have found ammo to negatively recruit against Ole Miss. And it's really hard to show these kids that what they're telling you isn't true. Uh, For example, I know there was at least one recruit that was told that there are, quote, KKK rallies every weekend, end quote, there by another SEC school. Was told that. And so what it takes is these kids to visit the place and realize that, wait, that's that's not the vibe at all here. They, they haven't had a chance to, to do that. And so any win, because of the, the negative recruiting that happens with them and the, the false narrative that is pushed so often about Ole Miss to recruits, any win should be looked at differently because it's taken extra work because they, don't, they haven't had the opportunity to show these kids that, hey, it's not like that here. So I think... Uh, transition class should be looked at as a transition class. This past one that they had. You should never expect a transition class to be a great one unless you're like Ryan Day stepping into um, the situation like he stepped in at, at Ohio State. A little bit easier for him. But I think this next class also needs to be looked at differently. Through a different lens, if you will. Because of what has happened. Because of how they've been hamstrung. It's a little bit different, and this class 
should be looked at differently. If it ends, if it ends up being a good one, like top 15 or top 20, um, that tells you a lot about the future of this program uh, so long as this staff is in place, however long that may be. If they can find a way to, to seal a top 20 class without having anybody visit this summer, um, that is a that would be a massive deal and a sign of really just how powerful of recruiters this staff could possibly be. And on the flip side, if, if the recruiting cycle doesn't go well, I don't know if you should hold it against them considering what they are up against with the inability to visit. I mean, even if visits are open this fall, I mean, God knows what it's going to look like considering um, what's going to happen this fall with not potentially no full stadiums, lacking atmospheres. I mean, if you're Ole Miss, if you're letting your stadium only be 50% full, what are you doing in the Grove? You know, a lot of th- a lot of factors at play here. And um, I don't know if you can hold a not great class uh, against them. Now, if it's a disaster, maybe it's a different conversation. But uh, they've got the DAC stacked against them right now. It's, it's really that simple. So any kind of recruiting win um, is a good one. And if they keep entering the transfer market like this and getting guys like these, uh, maybe they can supplement that and still build a pretty quality roster. So we'll turn the page. Last thing here, and it's really the sports story um, of the country right now, and that is the um, the FBI's conclusion, their investigation um, into the noose that was found in Bubba Wallace's garage. Uh, they concluded that uh, there was no hate crime, that it was uh, a rope that was uh, a pull rope for the garage door that had been hanging there as early as October 2019 and that there was no possible way uh, that was done maliciously. So here's the quote. The FBI report concludes and photographic evidence confirms that the garage door pull rope fastened like a noose had been positioned there since as early as last fall. This was obviously well before the 43 team's arrival in the garage assignment. We appreciate the FBI's quick and thorough investigation and are thankful to learn that this was not intentional or not an intentional racist act against Bubba. We remain steadfast in our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all who love racing. So a lot of things can be true here. Uh, The reaction, with everything like this, the reaction is always one extreme or the other, and the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle, or the reality is somewhere in the middle. All of of these things can be true at once. Um, I said it on the radio show yesterday, and uh, I didn't really get a chance to expand on it, but my, my first thought was, when this news broke, was good. This is good. When there is a thought that there is a potential hate crime as bad as hanging a noose in the only black man in the sports garage, and that was not the case, that there was not a hate crime here, that news is exclusively good. That is good news that this did not happen. This is very good news. It can also be true that a lot of people here look a little silly. All the way up to NASCAR. People in the media look a little silly here. I think Ryan McGee said, and he put it well because he's he's brilliant. Um, was it relieved and embarrassed? Uh, there are a lot of people involved that should be a little bit embarrassed with the reaction that came from it. 
It can also be true that it feels like somebody should have known that this is a pull rope on a garage door that had been there for a while. That instead of, after it's spotted, you go, you announce all these press releases and investigations and uh, all these interviews and, and everything that they did to make it so theatrical and so big, it could also be true that they somebody should have been able to raise their hand and say, hey, look, guys, that's it's pull rope to, to bring the garage down. It was there when we got here. It's been there. Somebody there, right, should have known if it was if that's what its function was. And I've seen people say that, well, the other garages don't have a, a loop fastened like that. But still, if I think this could have been handled so much quieter and, and easier and simpler if somebody would have just put their hand up and said, hey, wait a second, guys, maybe it's possible that that's not what this was. And that goes for, for NASCAR, that goes for people in the media, myself included, that maybe should have just stopped and thought, you know what, there's a plausible explanation that leads to it not being the case here. Now, I, I saw the picture, I've seen the picture, it does look like one. If that was the only rope in, in all of the garages, if that was the only one, then then yeah, I mean, that would have startled me too. I understand why the the original person that saw it thought that there was something going on, but somebody else should have stepped in at some point and, and used logic and applied logic and thought, wait a minute, let's look at the other garage doors. Oh, wait, this might just be a, a, a pull rope. Let's hold off on these press releases, guys, and just think about this logically. That could also be true. And then the reaction post-revelation is extremely poor. I mean, you've got the 24-hour news networks that are some of which are saying that this isn't over and, and why was it there and, and people that are that don't believe the explanation involved and it's uh, Bubba Wallace himself is, is making his rounds. I mean, he's done a couple of big news shows. He's going to be on Dan Patrick here shortly. Um, the, the doubling down from some, himself included here, is also not good. I, I don't know why the reaction isn't relief. That's what it should be. I mean, you honestly think the FBI is suppressing something like this? You think NASCAR is um, going to willingly accept an explanation that doesn't make sense? I mean, that's what's being implied here is that the FBI and NASCAR heard what they wanted to hear and, and aren't digging any further, and they should because there's clearly an issue here, and this is clearly a hate crime, even though it's from last year or whatever. Um, I I don't know what about the last few days has told you that NASCAR is willing to suppress reality. Uh, they they took it a step probably too far, and now suddenly they're they're wanting to cover it up and hide it. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, the the post revelation reaction is also so poor. It should be relief. That should be everybody's reaction today in, in sports and in news and in everything is relief. I mean, you, there was a full FBI investigation into this, and they interviewed over a dozen people, and they looked at, cam they looked at video, and they looked at pictures, and they determined that there was not a hate crime here. That should be a major sigh of relief. Weight off your shoulders. This is a good thing. NASCAR did something really cool before the race the other day. They showed a sign of unity. That, that wasn't inauthentic. 
even though there ended up not being a hate crime, still that, that was that was still an authentic moment. Bubba Wallace is not th- that actor from Chicago that completely manufactured and made up this story. He shouldn't be compared to that guy. I understand where that's coming from because a lot of people from the very beginning thought that didn't really add up. But he wasn't the one that found it. He wasn't the one that reported it. He isn't the one that called for an FBI investigation. And if you were in his shoes and somebody told you that they found what they found in his garage, it would have been a really stressful time. And I under—I actually understand his anger today that people are attacking his character and comparing him to that actor in Chicago. That, that would frustrate me too because this is not the same situation. It was not planted. It was not a hoax in the same way that was. There was a real thing. You can see pictures. It does look like one. It's a small one, but it does look like one. That was my first thought. It's, well, that, that's what that looks like. If I were the first person to see it, I would have been taken aback for a second. Absolutely. It looked like one. He didn't find it. He didn't report it. Somebody else found it and reported it. Somebody else called for the FBI's investigation. Somebody else released the statement for NASCAR. He is not the actor from Chicago. That, that's a very different thing. The response today should be relief. The FBI isn't covering anything up. NASCAR isn't covering anything up. They called for this. They were so open about whoever did it is going to be removed from our sport forever. So now you think they're they're suddenly going to turn heel and try to cover this up when they themselves exposed it all? No, that doesn't make any sense at all. So the reaction today should be relief. It's not for some, but but it should be. And it's just another example of why the, the 24-hour news networks are just so, so awful. Because pushing any other narrative um, is not only not rooted in reality, it's not rooted in fact either. And the, the response today should only be good. Because if that was real, if there was somebody walking around so confidently in their apparent racism that they were... A, they they willingly hung a noose from a garage to target the only black driver in the sport after they removed Confederate flags from the track. If if that was real, that would have been terrifying. I, I, I don't want to live in a world with those kind of people, and, and I can't imagine Bubba Wallace and his feelings being in a sport where those kind of people exist around him. Knowing that that's not real is a, it should be a huge weight lifted off of everybody there's shoulders. Some people should feel, like I said, a little bit silly, and a little embarrassed. But that's far better than if this were to be true. I mean, it feels like there are some people that kind of wish this was. It's what it feels like. It's a sigh of relief, though. It should be. And I do, I really do. Again, I understand Bubba Wallace's anger because this is not the same situation as the guy that staged and faked a hate crime. This is not the same thing. Somebody else found it. Somebody else reported it. He, he was not involved at all. Um, he was just what people thought was a target, and it ended up not being true. So I understand his frustration today. I really do. And we've got other news as well. Uh, so turning the page one more time, baseball uh, did finally announce – uh, their 60-game season, and they're going to put a runner on second base to start the 10th inning. Um, 
More on this coming up on Friday. I've got a lot of thoughts on baseball's return to play and, and the NBA this week has a really big week. I mean, today is, I think, the final day of players announcing whether or not they're going to to play in Orlando. You've already had some that have announced they're opting out, but today's the final day, and then they start pushing forward. I think they start training camp either at the end of this week or the beginning of next week. So um, some thoughts there, some thoughts on baseball's return and the rules, or the rule, 10th uh, inning with a runner on second because um, they don't know what the hell they're doing. What does that accomplish? Your season's already short enough. Why are you trying to make the games go by faster? I'm a big proponent of eliminating downtime in sports. I mean, the SEC on CBS lasting four and a half hours, that's ridiculous. It's way too long. But what are you really doing? I mean, extra innings are the most exciting part about a baseball game, and you're trying to shorten that? It doesn't make any sense. So um, we'll talk about that on Friday's show as well as anything else that pops up on the old Miss front. So thank you again for tuning in. Don't forget to stop by LB's. Really glad that you are with me as always. Go see Greg uh, and get yourself ready for a big weekend behind the grill. Again, I'm Michael Borky. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you again on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.